If you have not already guessed it, we're going to look at the book of Ruth for the next few Sundays. So why don't you grab your Bible, turn to the book of Ruth, just after the book of Judges. When you found it, and if you're willing and able, I'd love for you to stand up while I read chapter 1, which is what we're going to reflect on in the time that we have remaining this morning. something different and because I think it suits this story really well I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning. Ruth 1 verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Marlon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to their homeland. When her two daughters-in-law, with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye. And they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why would you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes. From too old to marry again. <coughs> And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, <coughs> then what? Will you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. <coughs> <coughs> Things are far more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord... <coughs> excuse me... <coughs> himself has raised his fist against me and again they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi look Naomi said your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods you should do the same but Ruth replied don't ask me to leave you and turn back wherever you go I will go 
Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I ever allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word and you have ministered amongst us already. This morning, will you please... Bless us now by continuing to speak words of life and hope to us for your name's sake. Amen. Thanks for the water, Matt. All right. First point a light in a dark room. A light in a dark room. I can recall when I was 17 year old. I can still recall that. My greatest aim in life seems silly now as I think back on it, but it really was my sole thought and my sole objective and my sole goal in life was to wear a hot tuna shirt. (laughs) Some of you, that means nothing. It was a specific brand of surf clothing. We weren't a wealthy family. My parents, wisely in retrospect, refused to buy the exorbitantly priced shirt, a brand name shirt, when my mum would say to me, I could make you a shirt better quality than that. And she did. I was not thrilled about wearing it. I can remember begging them, please, can I wear a hot tuna shirt? Please, Mum. And you know what my reasoning was? Everybody has a hot tuna shirt. Of course, not everybody had a hot tuna shirt. But to my desperate-to-fit-in-teenage mind, it certainly seemed that way. And maybe if you were to read through the Old Testament up until we've reached this chapter that we just read together... And if you were to follow the storyline of Israel from their liberation from Egypt under Moses all the way on to their conquest of the promised land under Joshua, and then further again as you traced sort of their sad spiral, their descent through the book of Judges, you might easily conclude that all was lost, that it was totally dark. Right? That sin and rebellion had won. That everybody was like the description that the book of Judges 
gives us, just like I thought, that everybody wore a hot tuna shirt. But that was not the case. And the story of Ruth proves it to us. The story of Ruth is God showing us what it looks like, what hope can exist and what transformation can occur when God is present and standing as a light in the darkness. The opening phrase of the chapter that we just read sets this record of story of Ruth as a story of hope in the middle of a very dark period in Israel's history. Did you see it? It's just a very small phrase in chapter 1, verse 1. During the time of the judges. And even the story of Ruth itself is a story of life and hope in the middle of what appears. Remember, There's a lot of things that appear a certain way in this story, but turn out not to be. It looks like it's a story of loss and despair and grief. But here's what I want you to remember from today. Here's the big point. Okay, I've got a few small points, but here's the big point that I want you to take away. Where God is present, death and darkness never have the final word. That's our takeaway from chapter 1. Where God is present, death and darkness never have the final word. So I want you to see how this plays out in chapter 1. So here's my second little point. This is about a world falls apart. A world falls apart. So in a world that relies on subsistence farming, okay, so if we go back in time, we don't have to go that far back in time really, where so much of the world like so much of it still today, relies heavily on subsistence farming, which means if you don't grow it and harvest it, you don't eat. You rely, your substance relies on what you can produce from the ground around you. Now, Israel, in the period that Ruth was written, was very much an agricultural economy. They were subsistence Farmers, whether that was grain or beef or fish or whatever it might have been, lamb. So in a world that relies on subsistence farming, right, a famine, the lack of rain, the lack of climate to be able to produce a crop was a situation of life and death. There was no social security. Elimelech must have been pretty desperate when the rains failed to come. We know he was so desperate that he was willing to uproot his entire family from ancestral lands that had been passed down from father to son, from father to son. He was willing to uproot it all and not only leave his homeland, but instead actually go to a neighboring country which were the sworn enemies of Israel, had done atrocious and terrible things to the nation of Israel over the generations the nation of Moab, and he thought that there was some more security, a better future with his enemies than there was to remain in his own land. Things must have been pretty desperate. Ironically, the place he ran to for security would be the place where he and his two sons would be buried. 
I was wondering, am I that different? Are we? So often it's the same for us today, isn't it? Humanity has a long history of running to things apart from God that we perceive will give us security. And yet in the end, those things are usually the road to ruin for us. So Naomi now, the matriarch of the family, she first buries her husband, and then within a decade, even though she has looked now to her sons for security, both her sons are dead within a decade. And she's left with a choice. Do I stay in Moab or do I return to Judah? I want you to notice how the narrator of the story explains her reasoning to return home. It's not, a, it's not an insignificant thing. Have a look in verse 6. So she and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab. Okay? That's, the, that's the choice they made. That's the action they took. Because, so here we get the reasoning, she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. It doesn't simply say that she had heard that there was food again in Moab, in Judah, sorry. And certainly that was the case. The rains had come, there was food, the crops were growing again. But it doesn't say that Naomi heard that there was food there. No, it says that she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs. And I'm wondering, isn't that the cry of her heart? Isn't it so often the cry of ours? Is the Lord paying attention to our needs? We've just been crying out to him this morning, Lord, hear our prayers. There are families amongst us, people amongst us who are hurting and we desperately are calling out, Lord. But let's be honest, how often do we pray and somewhere deep inside our heart or our mind we're thinking, will the Lord hear us? Will he answer it the way that we expect him or want him to? Naomi hears that God had paid attention to his people's needs and when Naomi's world fell apart, she was left with a choice And she chose to be where God was. She said, God is doing something in my homeland and I want to be there. That's what she chose. She had nothing left. She'd lost everything, even to the point that she would be willing to change her own name. Did you see that at the end of the chapter? Even her, the identity of what she's been known as, when she turned back up in Bethlehem at the end of this journey, the women there were sort of, you know, out, I imagine, gleaning, working, doing whatever they were, and they sort of saw this lady, she'd been gone for maybe decades, and they started asking, is that Naomi? Look, it's Naomi, Naomi's return, and her response is, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means Bitter. The Lord has turned his hand against me, is her response. Only bitterness remains. Of course, it doesn't just affect Naomi, does it? The book is called Ruth. The book is not called Naomi. We know that Naomi's bitterness, Naomi's loss, 
doesn't just affect her, it's now affected her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. These are two others who share in her grief, her daughters-in-law. Which leads us to our next point, the third point, a choice on the road. Read from verse 7 with me again, just to refresh your memory. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road, leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. And she kissed them and they wept loudly. And they said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Hear her questioning. Why would you want to go with me? Am I able to give you more sons? Who would become your husband? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have yet another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share. Because the Lord's hand has been turned Against me. Right? Naomi places a choice before these two women, a choice that has attached to it vastly contrasting consequences, right? Here's the choice. Naomi says to them, choice one, stay in Moab. And what comes with that choice? And she outlines it for them. She says, with that choice comes blessing, a future, and security. So stay in Moab. Choice two, stay with Naomi. What comes with that choice? She outlines it. If you stay with me, you are choosing a life of bitterness, of hardship and of vulnerability. And so what do they choose? Well, Orpah chooses what nearly any sane person would choose, right? I choose blessing, future and security, thank you. But Ruth chooses to attach herself to Naomi's fate, which seemed, remember, this book is about things that seem a certain way. It seems to be a choice that Ruth willingly says, I choose bitterness, hardship, and vulnerability. But what was our takeaway? You remember it? Where God is present, death and darkness will never have the final word. Of course, Ruth's response has rightfully become quite well known. It's quite famous, right? Filled with notions of loyalty and courage, and we admire those things. But I can imagine that when these words were uttered, Ruth knew that she was all but sealing her own doom. Verse 16, the famous little response of Ruth, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. 
and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Ruth knew what she was choosing. And in that moment, on that, I think, very dusty path between Moab and Judah, Ruth entrusted her entire future into the hands of God. That's Ruth's conversion moment. And we often stand in similar places in our life, some dusty road somewhere between two different places in our world. And we often seek to make a choice based on what perceived blessing we will get from it. In our mind, we're often thinking, will I choose God in this moment based on what I perceive I will get from Him? But I want you to see this morning that Ruth had no promise of anything beyond bitterness, hardship and vulnerability. And yet Ruth perceived something through that moment of the darkness. Ruth would rather have nothing but God than everything without him. And I wonder, would you, or do you, would you rather have nothing but God than everything without him? That's, that's the choice that Ruth was making that day. All right. What are we up to? Point four. Emptiness is the best path to fullness. How does this chapter close? It isn't the end of the story. We know there's three more chapters. We're going to look at it over the next couple of weeks. I want you to remember the takeaway from this chapter, though, where God is present, death and darkness never have the final word. And I want to draw your attention to, firstly, a very small phrase, and then, secondly, a seemingly insignificant detail. Here's the small phrase. It's found in verse 20 and 21. It's when Naomi says to her old friends in Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. Here's the small phrase in verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. So here's the first thing that I want you to notice about that small phrase. Naomi returns home completely spent. All right? She has nothing left. Nothing left. She looks at her life and all she can see is emptiness. The Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi's assessment of her life was all about loss. But she, she had no idea. How could she have, right? She had no idea that God was about to fill her emptiness in a way that she could never have dreamed of. So there's the first small phrase that I want you to take note of. And now here's the seemingly insignificant detail. 
It's found in the very last verse of chapter 1. It says, So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. A long time earlier than then Naomi and Ruth turned back up on the streets of Bethlehem, farmers had walked out and tilled the soil. They turned it over, hoed it, prepared it. They'd emptied it of weeds and rocks and they had planted barley seeds. And then they waited. Slowly the seeds sprout There's no harvest yet. Those tender plants needed nurturing, they needed watering, they needed protecting. A lot lot of work had gone into those fields without any reward. But all of that was about to change because now it's the beginning of the barley harvest, right? The fruit of all of that labor, the work that had gone into it, that had been slowly growing and and ripening along the way, all of that was about to happen. We we might think of Jesus' own words in John chapter 12, verse 24, where he says, Truly I tell to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. This is the way God works. It is not an insignificant thing that I think Naomi and Ruth turn up just at the beginning of a barley harvest. It's no mistake that they arrive in Judah now, just as the harvest was about to begin. Their own lives had been tilled, had been emptied, had been turned over. Their own lives had been broken and fruitless, but all of that was about to change. Why? Because where God is, where God is present, where God is active, where God is moving, death and darkness never have the final word. And that's what I want you to take away this morning. You'll have to come back next week and the week after that and we want to see how God is unfolding this story. We could look at the story of Ruth and and we could preach a a sermon uh, or three or a hundred about saying, why is it so good to be a faithful friend? Or why is it so good to be a good family member? Or why is it so good to be loyal? And all of those things are wonderful. But there's something bigger happening here than just that. They're good lessons to learn, but God himself is preparing his people to meet their Messiah. And a foreigner, an outsider... A grieving widow, they're all part of what God is doing. Right now, you might be grieving. I don't know why. Maybe you you think I'm a bit like Naomi. I was full once, but now I'm empty. Or maybe like Ruth, where you're feeling like, I don't fit. I'll never fit. I don't seem to have a place. I want you to hear this morning where God is present Death and darkness never have the final word. The story is not over. God is still doing something. And sometimes we just arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest. 
We have to wait and see what God will do as he redeems his people. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being with us this morning. Thank you for ministering to us by your spirit. Thank you for meeting with us in your word. Lord, as we journey alongside Ruth and Naomi, as we meet Boaz, as we see the circumstances of this story unfold, Lord, help us to have eyes to see in this story the way that your hand is working. And beyond this story, the way that we can learn about what you're like and what you've done in the past and what you continue to do today. Lord, I thank you that right now, even though sometimes death and darkness seem to have won the day where you are present, they will never have the final word. You are God and so we hear your voice this morning. We look to you this morning. And again, all the prayers that we've already offered, all the cries of our hearts, for you to move in spectacular ways, we again say yes and amen to. For your sake and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.